<laughs> all right. But tonight I want to talk about something that I think that we've all experienced in our lives. Um, and that is making the right decision maybe when what we really want to do is, you know, do what we want to do in our mind. Because I think that um, when we have the right motives and we take the right actions, we're going to see the right outcomes, right? But I think that, you know, who, who here has ever faced rejection in their life? Anybody ever faced rejection before? Yeah, I thought so. And, you know, um, it's not a fun thing, especially when we're rejected by someone who really, we feel, has no right to be rejecting us in the first place. You know what I mean? It's none of their business. <laughs> um, and, you know, sometimes I think when we felt feel called by God to do things, you know, we're bound to find somebody who objects to that, right? Now, I mean, I can tell you, some, a lot of times it'll be somebody like maybe a parent, um, a child, a spouse, a friend. Um, those close to us sometimes meaning well um, reject us without even realizing what they're doing and um, kind of make a mockery of when we're called out by God to do something. Um, so tonight, that's what I want to talk about because it's hurtful sometimes when those that you reach out and try to minister to are the ones that you face rejection from and face mockery from. And you know, David, and this morning, Pastor Mike started talking a little bit about this. And I, I looked at Haley, I said, he's going to preach my message for tonight, but you went a different way with it. But, um, you know, David, he had been anointed King, but he didn't automatically become anointed King and then then step into becoming the king. You know, there were like 15 years or so passed between anointing and stepping in to be the king of the kingdom. And, you know, he didn't go and overthrow Saul and take over the throne. He didn't do that. And, you know, when you think about it, like you were saying this morning, even David's own father didn't see the value in, in David. You know, David was an afterthought, you know, Hey, listen, Jesse, do you show me your sons? And he brings all the sons and David, he doesn't even think to go get David who's out in the field. And you know, <laughs> it leaves me asking, what do we do when even the father of the house doesn't see the value in the one who's called by God? What do we do? And, you know, David, he had to endure many trials before he became king. And, but, and, you know, we can look at his life and we can glean so much from it. We can see ourselves in his successes and his failures alike. And, you know, where I'm going to pick up tonight, David, he had been anointed king. And by this point, he was out in the desert fleeing for his life. Can you imagine you are going to be king? You're going to be king someday. And then the next thing you know, you're out fleeing because somebody's trying to kill you out in the desert. Um, so that's where we're going to pick up David's story. He had been anointed king, and now he's fleeing for his life out in the desert. So we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 25, starting at verse 1. And we're just going to sit here tonight. We're going to be here the whole night. So if you want to go to 1 Samuel 25, and it says, Now Samuel died. And all Israel gathered for his funeral. They buried him at his house in Ramah. Then David moved down to the wilderness of Maon. Now, if we look at this, you know, who had been David's supporter? Who had been 
the one who spoke godly things into David's life. It was Samuel. And you know what? By this point, can you imagine that the person who had so influenced your life, who had spoke, you know, blessing over your life, had looked after you, had given, spoken God's worth, they're, they're gone. They're gone. That person is gone. And we find ourselves in the middle of the desert being chased by the person who is in the role that, that you're anointed to fill. Can you imagine how you would feel? So in the wilderness, he had lost his, his main guy who spoke word of God in his life. And it said, there was a wealthy, a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And it was sheep sharing time. This man's name was Nabal, or as we in Adams County like to say, Nabal. <laughs> and his wife, Abigail. She was a sensible and beautiful woman. But Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all his dealings. When David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent ten of his young men to Carmel with this message for Nabal. Peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. I am told that it is sheep shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them, and nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your own men, and they will tell you this is true. So would you be kind to us, since we have come at a time of celebration? Please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and your friend David. David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name, and they waited for a reply. Who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered to the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are a lot of servants these days these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? So I want to stop right there. You know what, David? David. It wasn't as if he wasn't famous throughout the land. You know, Nabal's acting like this was some guy that nobody had ever heard of or anything. It was, it was David. There were songs written about him. David, he was pretty famous. So I have a feeling that Nabal knew who he was talking about, you know. So, and it's David, the man who showed so much, just such tremendous self-control. If you look at Saul, you know, before this, he spared Saul's life. And then you're going to find out that after this, he again spares Saul's life. <laughs> David had tremendous self-control. But... As we're going to find out here in a few verses, he loses his cool when just a few harsh words are spoken. You know, this blows my mind when you think about this. David, this guy, who, the man who's running, trying to kill him, he keeps his cool. He's okay. You know, he won't harm him. But then this guy, this some guy, you know, he may be a rich guy, but whatever, I'm going to be king of Israel. He loses his cool with this guy, as we're going to find out. And it, as I thought about this, I thought, what? Why is David losing his cool about this guy when he kept himself with Saul? And this is what I, I feel like God revealed to me. You know, how many times do we allow ourselves to be taken by the small things? You know, the, bottle talk, the Bible talks about the little foxes. The little foxes. And, and, you know, we may have this harsh boss at work who can talk to us any way we want, and we treat him with respect. We treat him with honor. Um, but we go home and our wife may say the slightest little thing to us and we blow off the handle. <laughs> Has anybody ever done that in here? No, me neither. <laughs> and you know, um, we'll get in traffic. 
page day. And <laughs> we get in traffic and we get road rage. You know, we can go and, and treat people with honor and respect. People can be a jerk to us. And if they're in a place of authority or something, you know, oh, it's okay. But yet when, when grandma pulls out in front of us, we're screaming at her, telling her off to get out of her way. Because we left 20 minutes late for work like it's her fault. And you know, it's kind of like the way it is with David here. You know, from Saul, he expected rage. He expected to be treated badly. He expected to be hunted down and for him to try to kill him. But from this guy, he protected his flock. He protected his sheep. He was expecting this guy to be cool and, and you know, to send him some food and stuff. But that's not what happened. So we're going to go on. But, I mean... We're going to go on. First, I want to ask you, what do, what do we do? What do we do when the person with the influence rejects us? Or what do we do when, when we befriend somebody and they show us, they mock us, they make fun of us? Do we lose our cool? Like we're going to find out the David here in a minute. We gotta, that's when we have to make a choice. Are we going to live this anointed life that God has for us or not? And it's not circumstantial. It's not circumstantial. It doesn't, well, you know what? I have to honor him because he's the pastor. But I don't have to honor her because, I mean, she knows me personally. Listen, we can't be one way out here in the church world, smiling, praise the Lord, and then go home and be a jerk to our family. It doesn't work that way. God looks at the intents of our heart. And a lot of times, those things that we have hidden away, they're going to crawl out. They're going to be, because God's going to shine a light on them. And God's shining a light on, on David here in this next scripture. And sometimes when we're rejected, we have to watch ourselves. We have to watch ourselves. So, verse 11. It says, should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where. So David's young men returned and told him what Nabal said. Get your swords, was David's reply as he strapped on his own. How many times has our, has our wife said a little thing? Sorry, I'm picking on you tonight, but uh, said just the smallest thing. And we're ready to strap on our swords and fight it out. Just like David here. So the 400 men start off with David and 200 remain behind to guard their equipment. Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Abigail and told her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have been very good to us and we never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. You need to know this and figure out what to do. For there is going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. He's so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, 200 wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, Go on ahead. I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband, Nabal, what she was doing. As she was riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, she saw David and his men coming toward her. Now, David expected for Nabal to be his ally. 
But sometimes God sends us unlikely allies. <laughs> um, and they may not be the allies that we want. They may not look the way we think they should, but they're the allies that we need. And David's men sought help from Nabal. But if they were only consulted with the woman, then they would have received what they needed. And if you think about this, you know, women weren't regarded the same way as men were back in these days. Women weren't regarded as leaders. But if they would have gone to the one that was less regarded, if they would have gone to the one who really had discernment from God, and listen, this is the thing. This, there's a problem here. When we in the church can't discern between those who are gifted with things and those who are anointed. It's, a, it's, it's, you know, a problem when we seek after the ones who seem to know, but really not the ones that actually have the discernment. It's a sad thing. And if they would only went to the woman, to the one who was less regarded, they would have received what they need. But we mess up. We're humans, right? And many times God places people in our paths who gives us what we need. Those who have understanding, who are able to have an outside look at what we're doing. But we must be wise enough to hear them and willing to turn away from our wrong ways. I'm going to tell you a story. There was this girl who's, who was... Losing her food stamps. She had, she had nothing. She was a single mother. She had four kids. She was losing her food stamps. She was going to go have to go find a job. She'd never really had, you know, a job before that I know of. So she came to where I work and she became a secretary. She started at the bottom job that you could get. And during this time, we had a lot of office managers come through that ran the business side of things. And but you could never keep an office manager. They would just come and go, come and go, come and go, come and go. So this girl who started out as a secretary started to work, and she was really good at what she was doing. So do you know what happened? After a while, she was promoted. She became like the head secretary. <laughs> and then after a little while, she started to um, coordinate other things in the office. And during this time... They, we, they were talking, what are we going to do about an office manager? We cannot keep an office manager. And when you work for a hospice or home health or any of those things, you, the office manager needs to know what they're doing or you're going to lose a lot of money. So they kept bringing all these people in with the degrees who fit the requirements that were on paper of what they needed. But it would never last. It would never last. Until finally one day somebody said, hey, what about her? Because she was always... You know, picking up the slack. She was, always, she was caught on quick. And on paper, it looked like she was not qualified at all. She wasn't qualified. So finally, after some um, talking corporate into it, she was allowed to take the position. And she has been in that position for quite a long while now, and she's doing an awesome job. Listen, sometimes we can disregard people. We can think that, you know what? You know what? He's the one who keeps the sheep out there. He's not going to be any good. And a lot of times that we are the person out there keeping the sheep. And the father of the house doesn't even recognize that we are the one with the giftings, that we are the one that is meant to be anointed to go and do 
good things. And just like David here, just like David, you know, he did so good. He had the right motives, right? He was a man after God's own heart. But his actions sometimes led him to trouble. But thank God, God gives us a second chance, amen? And just like that girl I was talking about, there will be opportunities open for us that we may not seem qualified for, but we are able to step into those things. How, how are we able to? By having the right motives, by handling ourselves in the right way, and then we're going to see the right outcomes. And we have to recognize that God sends unlikely allies our way. And sometimes we are that unlikely ally for someone else. So I rambled on enough. Let's go to verse 21. David had just been saying, a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness, and nothing he owned was lost or stolen. But he has repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. Nabal means fool. <laughs> but I never even saw the young man you sent. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. And here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty. Dynasty. For you are fighting the Lord's battles, and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. Even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. When the Lord has done all he promised and has made you leader of Israel. Don't let this be a blemish on your record. Remember that. Don't let this be a blemish on your record. Don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. Now listen, someday, when you're telling your story, how do you want your story to be told? We need to be asking ourselves that as we're handling ourselves, you know, when we are behind closed doors, when we are out in the public, when we are behind granny going down the road, do I want this to be a blemish on my record? Someday when my story is told, what story do I want my life to tell? You know, David could took matters into his own hand here and this story would have been completely different. He could have went and killed them all off and, you know, shot them down. And do you know what would have happened? God would not be able to do what he was, he's going to do on the other side of this as we watch and see. And David would have had, you know, he was already a bloody man. He would have had more blood on his hands. How many times do we forsake the story that we could tell someday by taking action ourselves? We need to ask ourselves, and I think that's so wise of her, of Abigail to ask that. How do you want your story to be told? How do you want to be remembered? 
So when Abigail returned home, verse 36, she found that Nabal was throwing a big party and was celebrating like a king. He was very drunk, so she didn't tell him anything about her meeting and with David until dawn the next day. You know, sometimes the anointed king is isolated in the wilderness while the enemy is the one who's living like a king. <laughs> sometimes the anointed one is the one being prepared for greatness out in the desert, being chased by the enemy, being chased down by the enemy out in the desert. Well, our enemies are having a party. <laughs> Sometimes it looks like the enemy could have everything that you could ever ask for. Everything that you've ever wanted. And you can look and you think, you know what? They're not even a Christian. <laughs> they are not even a Christian. And they have everything that I have ever wanted. <laughs> and all that you would have to do is lower your standards. All you would have to do is, you know, sacrifice your morals, and you can have the same thing they have. That's what the enemy tells us. That's what the enemy whispers in our ear. Look what they have. Look, they don't, they don't follow God. They don't even go to church on Sundays. And they have everything you ever wanted. So you have to make a decision. When we find ourselves in the desert, when we find ourselves being prepared, we have to make a decision. Would you rather give up your anointing so that you could have what they have? Or are you willing to pay the price to be anointed? Listen, sometimes you have to go through a season where the worldly ones, it looks like the worldly ones, have everything that you ever wanted. And you're out in the desert being prepared. Listen, I think it's a sad thing that we, <laughs> when the church in America can't tell the difference between anointing and charisma. We need leaders who are able to stand up and say, you know what? I am willing to go into the wilderness so that God will anoint me. I am willing to allow him to crush me. I am willing to allow him to work these things out of me that shouldn't be here so that I can stand anointed. But yet... We sacrifice all of that for a little bit of entertainment. <laughs> when are we going to get real? It is sad when the leaders of the church can't even tell the difference <laughs> between entertainment and the Holy Ghost. Mm. It's a sad day when the people can't tell the difference between an anointed preacher or prophet, or teacher, and, uh, you know, very gifted and talented speaker. But we don't need self-help. We need help from him. And if we would allow our, him to lead us out into the desert, out on the backside of the desert, you know, sometimes we have to face isolation. Sometimes it costs something. Sometimes it costs something to carry the anointing. Are you willing to allow him to break you to carry the anointing. Are you willing to fit, to go out and have some isolation? Are you willing to give up, you know, your spot at the party? So that you're going to be an anointed vessel? Hmm. Being a, a prepared anointed vessel takes time and a willingness to be developed. 
And, you know, if we want the best that God has for us, if we want to be the best that we could possibly be for God, we have to be willing to go through what it takes to carry the anointing. And, you know, and when we look at other people, we see this shallow, short-lived success, but that's exactly what it is, shallow and short-lived. Because as we're going to find out, the party doesn't last forever. The party doesn't last forever. You know what? David, his kingship went on. And do you know who his descendant was? His descendant is still the king today. Nabal, his party, guess what? It ended. As we're going to find out right here. Verse 37. In the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him what had happened. As a result, he had a stroke. Party didn't last long, did it? And he lay paralyzed on his bed like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck him. Notice, it doesn't say David struck him. No, David didn't strike him. David didn't strike him because he listened to the wise woman. <laughs> you know, sometimes women are very discernment, have a lot of discernment. I told Haley this earlier. They're, they're in touch with their emotions. Sometimes we need to pay attention to what they have to say. All right. Um, about 10 days later, the Lord struck him, and he died. So you know what? When we go out into the desert, when the enemy's coming after us, and we're spending time out in the desert, we refuse to go, take, to go kill the head of the party and have the party for ourselves. When we allow God to develop us and work in us and anoint us, God's going to take care of our enemies. He's going to kill them all for us. We don't have to worry. We don't have to strike them down. We don't have to strike down poor little grandma for pulling out in front of us. <laughs> that was a bad example. Um, you know, the people who mistreat us, if we would just listen to Abigail, if we would just listen to Abigail, hold our peace, and think about what story do I really want to tell? What story do I want to tell? You know, at our old church, um, I really wanted to do something. I just wanted to do something. And I did several things, but nothing ever felt right. And, you know, that's okay. When you're, when you're young, and, and, and when I mean young, I mean when you're a new Christian, and you don't really know kind of where your niche is, where you fit, it's okay to step out and try different things. But I hadn't really found where I fit yet. And we had several worship leaders there through the years. And every time one would come and go, one, when they would go, I would think, oh, maybe this, is, maybe this is my chance. And then, you know, I was never, I was never, ever even considered to be worship leader there. I, even when I was on the, the praise team, I was on the praise team for what, a couple of weeks. And then I, then I was asked to step down so that somebody else could take my spot. So... And at the time, it did hurt me. It hurt my feelings, you know. I was like, what's going on? And thank God that he gave me the grace to, to not strike out and to say anything. And that's not me. It was all God. God kept my mouth. And because when I think about this now, you know, if I would have caused a big scene over there, you would have never considered me to be the worship leader here. <laughs> it's funny how God works, isn't it? 
So I kept my mouth shut, and we came here, and then all of a sudden, I was the worship leader for nine years. No, not nine years. Almost. But how much different of a story would I have told if I would have lashed out? My story would have been a lot different. I would probably still be waiting for that opportunity to come. And you know, when we let God take care of our problems for us, when we don't lash out and we just let him handle it, things turn out so much better. And someday when we're telling our story, it's going to be such a so much better story. So God kills off our enemies and he takes care of it. Verse 39, and I'm almost done. It says, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, praise the Lord who has avenged the insult I received from Nabal and has kept me from doing it myself. (laughs) Nabal has received the punishment for his sin. Then David sent messengers to Abigail to ask her to become his wife. (laughs) You know what? When we do right, when we have the right motives, when we do the right actions, we have the right outcome, we're rewarded for that. Because we serve a God that teaches us that we reap what we sow. You know, that it's all through the Bible. You know, reaping, sowing, reaping, sowing. And when we do right, right things are going to happen. It may not always feel like it in the beginning because we might find ourselves out, out in the desert with the enemy chasing after us, ready to kill us. We may find ourselves out in the desert while everybody else is partying it up. And we're out here like, God, what's going on? You anointed me king. I was anointed king. When's it going to happen? But listen, if we would handle ourselves the way we should handle ourselves, God's going to take care of it, and we will receive a a reward for it. And you know, Abigail became the bride of the king, and that's exactly what we are when we are children of God. So I think that when you are a child of the king, when you're the bride of Christ, when you are the bride of Christ, we need to be acting like the bride of Christ. And not acting like, well, that's right, like the rest of the world. So when we're anointed and set apart by God, we we can't expect the world to comprehend it. I talked about that a couple weeks ago. The world's not going to understand it. They're going to think we're crazy sometimes because it doesn't make sense to them. And, you know, we may face mockery. We may face rejection. But we, we must be on guard. We must handle ourselves in a godly manner, even when we are all insulted by the people that we're trying to befriend. And we can't be offended when the enemy is partying it up and we're wondering what's going on. That's the time to really, you know, when we're in that isolation We're not alone. Pastor Mike talked about that this morning. We are not alone. God is working in us, giving the power and the desire to do what pleases him. And we have to allow him to do that work in us. Amen? Amen. So tonight, I just want to ask you, what story do you want to tell? Stand to your feet. 